We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're asking built environment professionals, how can new green technology be incorporated into our buildings? Our guest in this episode is designer, researcher and educator Tristan Morgan from Oricon. In this interview, Tristan speaks about digital tools that can be enabled within homes, what some of the opportunities and barriers are with regards to automation, and some of the projects that exemplify computational design at Oricon at the moment. I'll now hand over to Ryan Barut and Imagine representative based in Western Australia, who introduces Tristan further. Let's jump in. Today, we are speaking with Tristan Morgan, a computational designer, strategist, researcher, and educator. Tristan leads computational design and automation across Oricon. Prior to joining in 2021, he has worked as a digital technologist, researcher, consultant, and academic in a variety of roles across the AAC industry. He specializes in digital tools and processes and engaging with advanced manufacturing and assembly the impact of human-machine interfaces on design and the built environment, designed for carbon zero, transdisciplinarity, and the future of practice, strategic foresight, and speculative futures. As an active contributor to academia and the industry, Tristan values the sharing of knowledge and deep collaboration to enable a better built environment for all. Today's question asks, how can new green technology be incorporated into the home? That's a... It's a really fascinating question, I think, because we are seeing an emergence of incredible amount of technology that is, you know, on the market that talks about how homeowners can be positive contributors to our future. At, you know, the climate crisis. You know, making sure that we can hit carbon zero. And I think one thing that, for me and my practice, is really important is to actually look beyond just a, a single solution or, or a single home. And actually look at how all of these things in all of us are part of wider communities, are part of really wider uh, societies um, in urban environments. And I guess that talks to the way that I view technology and tools is, is not really things that are simply uh, solutions to problems, but actually enabling instruments to help us both as designers, but also as stakeholders and community members to make better decisions about our future about you know what we do in the built environment and I guess a really important part of that is to make sure that when we are looking at employing technology in the design and, and also the operation of our environments we ensure that we're not creating all these different closed off silos so I guess in zooming out from the home this kind of understanding that we are all part of a wider network system and where technology comes in is it actually enables us to talk more clearly and more effectively with one another. And I think that's, uh, for me, part of the, the real exciting future of where we're at right now, the built environment. Yeah, for sure. It is pretty exciting. Talking about digital tools, would you be able to talk to us a little bit about enabling digital tools within our within architecture and design and within our homes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess that, you know, ch changing the paradigm of, of what tools mean and talking about them 
in a sense of enablement really allows us to start to think of digital software as not about, say, a single software package or a single uh, piece of technology, but more of a way of thinking about technology and, and kind of using that technology. So I guess in terms of a design studio, you know, we might typically be using, you know, building information modeling tools or just kind of general modeling tools. And very typical tools that we might use in a computational design context would be scripting tools, tools that allow us as designers to get under the hood of the software and rather than allowing the software to kind of dictate the way that we work or the decisions we make, we can start to customise that software to suit our needs more. This is this has been happening for a long time now, but the really exciting thing that's happening now with tools and this digitization of the way we work is that we can start to build these connections out so that we can communicate directly with people. So we can actually start to use these tools as connectors between, say, ourselves as designers and the decisions we make and actually actually communicate that decision-making process directly to, say, a client or, or, or to a community. And in, in some instance, instances, it's becoming much easier as well to even give uh, the client or stakeholder a little bit of uh, agency in that decision-making process. And I think in doing that, we start to position digital space not as a, it's, its own thing that we just apply to existing processes, but as a way to start to challenge how we've worked in the past and open up new opportunities for really much more collaborative uh, working practices in the future. Yeah, right. Talking about challenging ex- and exploring these digital tools and digital platforms, what's your take on, I guess, uh, challenging and exploring digital tools as they are in the current landscape? Well, I think this idea has started to emerge and, and, and really it's, it's, it's come from completely outside of design, really, but a lot of research into what the future of work looks like, what the future of the professions look like. So there's a, a, a book published in, I think, 2016 by uh, Susskind and Susskind called The Future of the Professions. And it looked at how technology, obviously, but lots of other things, you know, this kind of increasingly complex world in which we operate. We've got these increasingly existential challenges. It's starting to reshape the way that we work. And they talked specifically about the role of automation in changing the way we work. But then also, I think, really importantly, because automation is very much, uh, for some people, it's a panacea to, to everything. You make things faster, therefore you make things better. And I don't think that's right. I think you still need to understand what it is that you're doing in the processes that you're undertaking. But they introduced this idea of democratisation and demystification as really important ways of rethinking how our professions work in the future. And so when I approach computational design and and the making of tools and and leveraging digital tools within design processes, I always come from that position of how is this tool enabling a more democratised approach to design? How is this tool or this this software or, or whatever it is demystifying what we're doing to make sure that we are not in some ivory tower trying to make decisions that no one can understand. We're actually inviting as many people into that that, that process. Um, so I think that's a really important part of it. And, and so it increases transparency, right? And, you know, as designers, particularly in, you know, contemporary, contemporary world, it's very difficult for us, I think, often to describe our value you know, it's, it's very difficult to talk about that and, and there's always lots of challenges to, to how that value 
was calculated. And I don't think architects are very good at that, really, because of, you know we're not necessarily trained to talk about what we do in the language of, say, client who's interested in, well, how much money am I going to be paying for this outcome? So when you start to bring people into that process, and you can really do this with digital ways of working, to be honest, because because that enables a dynamic connection between the client and, and, the, and the designer and the outcome. By doing that, I think we start to really challenge the way that we've previously been working and, and enter into this new, new phase of collaborative, transparent practice. Mm. You were kind of talking about the value or our value speaking as an architect. Um, and I guess there's always the question that kind of comes up when we talk about automation and new design technologies and democratization of these design technologies. By making these existing specialist roles and digital tools more public and automating the design process, are we developing ourselves as architects and designers out of a job? If we can continue to work the way that we've always worked and think that our value is embedded in that way of working and that model of professional services, then maybe. But I think what it is, is it actually is an opportunity to actually reconsider, you know, what our profession offers and how, our, you know, where the value really resides within our profession. It designed in the Zakari, but also all across the whole, you know, architecture, engineering, construction industry. You know, we're seeing transformation in every single industry and, and our industry is not immune from that. So I think it's just actually, it's an opportunity to rethink what we do so um, and rethink how we communicate that value. And, you know, I think actually what it can do at its best is particularly using computational design as integrative specialisation, at its best, it actually brings us closer to our communities, brings us closer to our stakeholders um, it starts to connect us in ways that we've not been able to be connected for a long time. And I guess, you know, I, I think we're, we're starting that journey now. Um, we are seeing a proliferation of tools that do that. But I, th I think it's going to be really interesting. And, and I think a really um, important consideration and maybe a little bit of a word of warning in many ways for, for, you know, all our colleagues out there in this industry who may be a little bit concerned about, doing this and, and maybe a, a, a little bit of a reduction in how they can value themselves or, or something or, or diffusion of that value is the tech industry has seen the gap, right? The tech industry has seen that opportunity to, to disrupt. You know, the construction industry, AEC industry is one of the least innovative industries globally and it's also one of the most valuable and it hasn't seen the massive disruption that we've seen in other industries and the tech industry is now heading there and going there and starting to invest heavily in developing the platforms, developing the tools, developing the approaches that we've not invested in. And they're not trying to sell those tools to us, right? They're not trying to say, hey, let's make your business better. They're going straight to the client, straight to the stakeholders, straight to the, the you know, the, the local government and saying we have the tools that solve all these problems. And so we are at, in some way at risk of becoming a little bit sidelined. And, and I think that that's a real shame because we still have such value and it's such an important part of this process. We need to actually become more comfortable with embracing this future and finding new ways of working within that future. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like if we don't try to keep ourselves ahead of the curve of new design technologies and 
we won't design ourselves out of a job. We'll just become superfluous. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll still, architects will still exist, but it's just there won't be much work for them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, 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 the profession won't disappear. But I think, you know, what we have the opportunity to do is actually reshape that profession and retain it and all its valuable stuff and just figure out where it fits in, you know, in the whole um, end-to-end kind of built environment context. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's super important that we do kind of maintain on the edge of these new technologies. How do we move forward from our existing situation to a more transparent, integrated and collaborative platform? There's not an answer. Um, I think we are at an an inflection point where there are lots of opportunities, lots of challenges. I would, I guess, going back to the Sustin and Sustin book, they talk about this concept of disintermediation and reintermediation and thinking as a profession about really pulling ourselves out as, as a thought exercise, right? Pulling ourselves completely out of the supply chain or the, or the market that we operate in, in and actually really surveying it effectively and also unpacking our profession and thinking about what skills do we really have? Where do we really sit? And starting to reintermediate ourselves into that process where we see the most value and starting to actually communicate to that value proposition much more more clearly. And I have to say, the Sustainable Sustainable book is, is, I mean, I think there's like two pages on, you know, architectural professions, right? That's part of the professional landscape, you know, we're talking lawyers, we're talking doctors and engineers, of course. But I think it still holds really true. I think the other thing about moving forward as well, so is to move maybe into a, a more detailed look at what the profession looks like like from a skills point of view and, and less of a homogenous entity and think about this idea of transdisciplinarity, right? So having lots of disciplines, not just working together, right? Not, it's not just about being cross-disciplinary. Transdisciplinary is actually opening up all those disciplines to the other disciplines' knowledge as well and, tra- and getting a lot more filtration of all that expertise across different teams and different people so I think that's something that's really important as well is, is, is actually starting to allow a more kind of, I guess, more osmosis between the professions to learn in that way and actually to adopt different practices. And, and maybe in the digital space as well, definitely um, I shouldn't omit discussing the work of Randy Deutsch, who's, who's a United States-based kind of academic and practitioner. He's written a few books on this kind of, inflection point in the role of digital technology in architecture specifically and he posited this model of a future professional called the super user in a book, I think it was 2019 he published Super Users which really surveyed all these architectural practices that I consider the cutting edge of, at the time of digitization and then started to go well, what kind of skills are you seeing in your practices that are helping you, you know, grow and, and you're seeing is really important for the future and he coined this term the super user Right, and this super user, which is it's not just a technical thing, right? It's not just about, oh, I can use all this different software. In fact, he actually talks about 10 principles of a super user, and I can't really remember them all, but what's really fascinating about them is that most of them are soft skills, right? They're not technical hard skills. The super user absolutely can, can leverage technology, but they are good at problem solving. They are good at collaboration. They are adaptable. You know, they, they, they have all these valuable or is strategic, right? They're very strategic about what they do. And I think that's part of that, you know, how we build um, resilience into 
our, our industry and to our profession as well. Uh, this idea that it's not about what tools you list on your CV, it's about the mindset that you bring um, to, 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 to leveraging whatever the tool set is that you have available to you and also ensuring that you're connecting that technical tool set with a suite of skills that are about communicating and collaborating internally and externally. Mm. So I guess talking a lot about tools, it's probably worth taking a step back and looking at what kind of digital tools are already out there for the designer slash architect and what are we missing or what are we developing at the moment? There are lots of tools. This is exploding, really, this whole field. You know, not a day goes by when there's not a new startup or a new tool released on, you know, to the, to the market. I think some of the most impactful tools uh, that, that we see being used every day, and those, are, I think, are going to be really key ones for us, you know, particularly if we're tackling, we should be tackling, you know, climate change and how we develop our cities in the future, uh, environmental simulation tools. So there's you know, using tools to understand as we're designing what the impact of our decisions are in terms of carbon, for instance, embodied energy, uh, performance. So, you know, operational, operational energy, as we all know, obviously, you know, passive uh, ventilation, those kinds of strategies. But also things that I think, and these are tool sets that are available today, tools that are able to tell us about, you know, the quality of the light, you know, the daylighting, access to natural light, how well a ventilation system might work in a building, even, even how much energy is used over the course of, of a day or a year based on different occupancy kind of models. So these things uh, are used, obviously, to assess designs that are made, but we're seeing more and more these kinds of tools being used at a very early stage of design, working with the designer, so very dynamically engaging with the designer as they work to, to give them guidance as they work and say, you know, not, not explicitly, but provide kind of insight into, like, you know, these types of design actions are going to increase or decrease, you know, the quality of this space, you know, the, the thermal comfort of this space, um, accessibility of this space, uh, and I think those things are incredibly tangible in terms of how they impact at all scales of a built environment. And that is definitely down to the individual home. And I don't think we see enough of these tools being used in our individual homes. I think we see a lot of these tools used a lot in, in the larger projects, but they're just as, if not more important, to be using in, in, in our homes and not just our architectural, architecturally designed homes, right? Because as we know, the bulk of our building is, is, you know, the volume builders. And so we need to also be ensuring that these tools are dispersed across the industry as well um, and much more accessible for, for the whole industry. I think as well, you know, tools, uh, and we're seeing lots more of them as well, that allow us to see or simulate these impacts at the more urban scale also. So we can understand at multiple scales that impact of what we're doing in a suburban or, or a residential context, we can think about urban heat island effect and things like that and understanding how a single development or a single house actually makes an impact on its neighbours you know, and, and its street. And obviously, again, talking about this means, you know, it, it makes it clear that all houses should have access to these tools and, and ideally operating transparently you know, at a platform level so that everyone can actually see the impact of everyone else's decisions 
you know, in, in some way, whether it's metadata or, or analytics or something. So I think that's really important because no, no design decision actually works in isolation or has an isolated impact. But obviously, you know, beyond the suburban, I mean, we, we have tools that can help us simulate transport routes. Um, that becomes really important as well. When we're talking about planning out cities, planning out environments, understanding about, you know, existing green space, how to make the most use of that existing green space, where development should and could be to be most effectively utilised, both from a commercial but also from an amenities uh, point of view, um, and also to help guide us as we develop our cities to make decisions that are going to actually be really positive contributors. Um, I think we've all seen far too often, you know, developments happen in, in places that we live, you know, in the cities that we visit, um, you know, developments that just don't perform very well, right? And and that is bad economically, obviously. It's bad for the life of, of a place or a city, but it's absolutely fatal for, you know, the health of our planet and, and all that energy that goes into making bad decisions. So being able to use these digital tools to, 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 to make, help, make us, help us make those decisions before actually putting real material on a site or digging up real material from the ground, that is the pathway to, to a much more basically a, a zero carbon and a, and a future where you know, we actually are able to continue to exist as a, as a species on this planet. I think also without going, you know, talking for too long, because I think this is such a deep space to talk about, what's, you know, what's important about these tools as well is that they're not replacing the way that we work as designers. So I think this is really important. And previously, I think there was this um, tendency for software developers and, and, and even and people themselves to seek automated tools that kind of completely take away the human decision-making kind of element. Uh, and I think what we're seeing on the market emerge more are tools that actually understand the role of human decision-making and seek to work in partnership with, with, with people. I think that's really important and because you know, the promises of uh, AI are, are there, absolutely, but AI is still in its infancy and it's also not a very good uh, decision-maker, particularly when it comes to making decisions on uh, fuzzy information. And I think as you know, designers, we often operate at the, at the fuzzy edges of things. So, so I think that's an important acknowledgement as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. So along with, I guess, quite a closed realm that these new digital technologies and tools operate on and a fear from designers and its users that we are automating ourselves out of a project, what are some of the perceived barriers and misunderstandings of new design technologies? I think it's, I think it's really um, you know, this lack of control, right? lack of input. I think also we've all, you know, images of cookie cutter buildings of, you know, a single type of solution proliferating across a, a landscape. You know, I think a lack of human scale, lack of diversity. A lot of us have grown up and I, I love sci-fi films. We've grown up on these dystopic visions of the future and some people love it, but a lot of people also recognise actually this might not be where we want to go and maybe, you know, how do we divert away from these paths? Um, 
as well. And, you know, a lot of these, these, these sci-fi visions of, of the future do indicate an over-reliance in many ways on this kind of hard tech world at the expense of kind of our softer, I guess, our humanity, right? And so I think ingrained in the way that we, a lot of us do think about technology is that. And I have to say it's very healthy to be sceptical of technology. I, I am a sceptic. Absolutely, I am a sceptic. I, I, I want to make sure that when we are using technology, we are really critically considering its role in what we're doing. So I, th- I think then, I, I guess in, in terms of all thinking, well, how do we overcome some of these barriers? Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done from the point of view of those who kind of wield these tools to be less forceful in applying them. Um, I think they also um, do mirror our own biases. So it's really important for us as designers and, and, and practitioners in this industry to reconsider our own biases. So I think, you know, I think uh, the tools are only as, as good as kind of the information we give them. And I guess the other thing that comes up around that, what that starts to provide us with an opportunity to do then is to think about how we ourselves can become more sensitive and empathetic in the way that we design and what types of uh, decision-making or or, or rule sets we encode in the technology that that we use. So the homogenous city stuff as well, I think what's really cool about technology is that in the right hands and using the right tools, it's actually got this great ability to respond to all these nuances and all of this data and all this information that sometimes we as humans are unable to, to manage or you know, we are unable to kind of synthesise. And so what you actually do get are potentially solutions or, or suggestions that kind of exist outside of our, our existing kind of um, experience um, or our assumptions and you actually can get solutions and and decisions made that provide real value. So rather than the homogenous city, what you find is you get an incredibly diverse city because it's able to respond to all that nuance that exists, you know, at, at several layers in the city. So not just the physical, formal layer, but people, environment, culture, history, etc. So, you know, a lot of the misunderstandings about technology uh, emerge from really historically at not being able to manage that kind of complexity because we haven't had the computer power being kind of wielded in a way that I think is too forceful, doesn't allow for that diversity, doesn't allow for that dynamic response. And I think there's also a, a little bit of a vested interest in a lot of kind of AI and automation developers to try to sell this kind of magical thinking as well, right? I think that, you know, because that makes people... Mm. think about all these magic solutions and it's actually not that easy which is a good thing yeah for sure would you be able to discuss with us a few projects that um kind of highlight some of the themes that we've spoken about today yeah i i think there, there are two things probably that for me really talk to where we're heading as an industry where we could head as an industry so i guess you know I, i'm leading computational design network at Oricon and really supporting the computational design network, I should say. And 
what we do is basically we have you know a regional leadership of, of computational designers in all of our offices, basically, all of our regions. And we're trying to foster this network of computational designers where the skill sets and the expertise they have that we do and, and, and assisting with the delivery of projects and assisting with the decision making and, and very much working hand in hand with all the other discipline specialisations that we work with. So this is, I think this is um, part of how we build towards, I guess, a more sustainable and I think impactful approach to integrating computational design and digital tools with the way that we work. I think we've moved on. And look, we we had to, for many years, talk about having these digital teams that kind of all the problems came into them and they solved them and they distributed them back out to the business. And I think that's because you know, we didn't have the skills, we're still learning how to integrate. But what, you know, what, what I'm really pleased with at, in the way that we're doing this at Oricon is we're making sure that we are really part of, you know, the business and we are helping the business to transform towards this future. And, and digital isn't this thing that sits separate and, and dictates what happens. Digital is something that is ingrained and integrated in everything we do. And, and a big part of that also is that we're not seeking, we don't seek to, to train everyone to be computational designers. What we really focus on is how do we invite as many people as possible into this discussion? How do we provide as many people as possible an affordance into this specialization so that we can really supercharge you know, the, the knowledge, supercharge the solutions, supercharge the decision-making, supercharge the value um, that we have uh, or that we can have um, when it comes to what we, what we deliver. So I think that is really, really exciting and that's allowing us to start to talk about computational design not as a, a technical skill set. So, and obviously technical skills are really important, right? You know, you can't just have a computational designer who talks every day, you need a computational designer who can actually do something. But really just start to talk about computational designers as these integrators, right? And the aid in interaction between lots of things. I like to call them, you know, informally, uh, this kind of, they become the interstitial fluid of a well-functioning design or engineering or construction business, right? They, they, they actually connect all these things that are typically not able to be connected. And so they can't work in isolation. They don't work well in isolation. Uh, you know, and that's transdisciplinarity in practice. And I think, you know, computational designers are agents of transdisciplinarity. And, and I hope, you know, that, and that's really fantastic to see. The other thing I think that's really, you know, I think is worth talking about is the work that I'm doing with Curtin University as part of the Urban, the Urban Design Research Lab that we run there. And we teach a master's unit, an urban design master's unit, where we take real-world problems. We take a, a real-world kind of precinct or, or kind of urban scale area and we look at how we might redesign or re-strategize what's going on there. So, you know, identifying what some problems might be, what some opportunities might be, and then we move on to, to how we might, might redesign those. But the... The thing that I think is making it really interesting is that we're trying to do it with a digital first mindset. So we're you know, obviously we're doing the, the traditional and very important things we need to do in, in, in the teaching practice of you know um, you know uh, representation skills and design thinking skills, but we're bringing a 
digital platform into the mix so that as the, the students are designing and making decisions, they're actually able to leverage these platforms to see in real time what the impact of their decisions or the impacts of their decisions are. So at a basic level, we're talking about, say, what the different impact is when you specify, say, a residential development as an urban scale versus a commercial development versus more car parking versus green space and being able to see in real time what that means for jobs, what that means for um, general amenity, how much it even costs to build, what the environmental impact of that might be, you know, doing real-time shading, you know, overshadowing studies, radiation studies, things like that. And these platforms are, are, are real-time and they're collaborative. So these teams now are, are working together. They're not working on, you know, pieces of paper and trying to, to match things up and, and make these assumptions. They're not working in isolation. All these teams are working together. They're seeing each other's decisions and how they impact one another. And, and it's a research project. So we're really trying to understand how these types of platforms can move into this, this urban realm. And then we're using these platforms as well to communicate to stakeholders, right? The same platforms that we're using to design with, we then use to face the stakeholders and actually engage um, in discussion and engage in kind of collaborative uh, decision-making as well. Um, and we're in our fourth year, I think, of doing this work and we're, we're seeing really good impacts and we're about to, you know, we're going to continue, obviously, and what's really, really exciting is in the last year or two, I'm seeing this coming to the industry more as well now, right? And so we're, we're, we've got this kind of cohort of students who come through this program who are ready for really valuable contribution to the industry because they know how to wield these tools. They know what the value is of these tools. They know what the potential is of these tools. And they can come into business and they come, can come into, into practices and actually leverage that skill set to, to really ensure that we are able to deliver these better outcomes to, to communities. Yeah, right. It's really great to hear that um, these quite complex and nuanced issues or themes going on in the profession is kind of being broken down and delivered to students at an early stage and getting them ready, like you said, for, for the workplace and yeah, instilling it into their, into their fundamentals. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Tristan, I just wanted to ask you, as a closing statement, what you would like to take, what would you like for our audience being architects and also the general public to, uh, to take away from this conversation? Um, it's been a pleasure to speak about this topic. First of all, I, I've really you know, appreciated the opportunity. It's something that I, I find incredibly exciting to think about you know, where we're at and, and where we can go. I think you know, the pace of change is really rapid, so it can be a bit disconcerting. You know, when I graduated you know, from, from architecture school, these tools simply didn't exist. So we're seeing that the pace of change is, is really, really fast, and I think it can be, you know, you can be a bit nervous about what the impact of this could be. But I think what it does, and I think the really important thing here to take away from all of this is that it only works when it is in service of people, service of our communities, in service of our future. You know, I, I think of some of the, you know, the facts that we are dealing with right now. The construction industry is responsible for up to 40% of embodied carbon globally. We have to build by 2050 almost double the amount of uh, floor area that we have built to this day in all of history. So we're talking about something like another 200 billion square metres 
by 2050 just to account for population growth, just to account for um, replacement of building stock, things like that, repair, etc. So this is a really critical moment for us to think about what kind of decisions are we going to be making for the future. And we don't have, don't have an opportunity to get it wrong, right? Like every time we build something, that is carbon, that is impact. We don't have this luxury. We don't have luxury of time. We don't actually have a luxury of bad decisions. And we all need to work together. So for me, the takeaway is we need to be using every possible opportunity to make better decisions, to secure a better future globally, and we need to do it in a way that is transparent, collaborative, um, involves as many people in those decision-making processes as possible, demarginalizes people. And for me, digital tools, computational thinking is the pathway to doing this. It brings people together, it integrates all these disparate disciplines, it demystifies and democratizes the profession, it, it allows us to see things that we, we sometimes don't see, it allows us to challenge our assumptions. It gives voices to communities, to stakeholders, to individuals that often don't have voices in these decision-making processes. Obviously, when it's wielded right. But that's, that's the takeaway, is that we need to really embrace these platforms and use them with the right intent uh, so that we can secure a better future globally for everyone. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you. This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks again to our guest in this episode, Tristan Morgan. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast, and we can't wait to see what you produce using computational design and automation in the future. Our sponsor, Brickworks, also produce Architecture Podcast by architecture fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. If you'd like to hear from some more amazing architects, you can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad, and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review, and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy, and the Imagine production team was Ryan Barut and Eileen Chu. This interview was edited by Pete Carter at Pillow Fort Audio Productions, written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.